You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi. I'm Andrew Child, and welcome to 50 Key Stage Musicals, the podcast, a companion piece to the Routledge Press publication, 50 Key Stage Musicals, which is available for purchase by going to routledge.com or clicking the link below in today's show description. Today's episode focuses on Chapter 16, The Fantastics, and with us today is author of that chapter, David Arthur. As a long-standing member of the Lehman Engel BMI Workshop, he is the recipient of the Jerry Harrington Award. In addition to writing the book and lyrics for the New York Musical Theater Festival award-winning About Face with music by Jeffrey Loden, David, along with Brian Lasser, contributed material to the Manhattan Association of Cabarets and Clubs award-winning review, Here's to Our Friends. For the concert stage, he has written for Randy Graff, Judy Kuhn, Karen Mason, Marin Mazzi, Donna Murphy, and Barbara Walsh, along with the music, lyrics, and book for Saratoga Trunk Songs. Current projects include the book and lyrics for Nobody Sleeps Well in Casablanca, with music by Douglas J. Cohen, and the book and lyrics for Oddly Enough, with music by Mary Feinsinger. David, thank you so much for being here today. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you, Andrew. So... I've read your chapter on the Fantastics, but for those listeners who maybe haven't gotten their hands on the book yet, could you maybe summarize, give us the elevator pitch, what makes the Fantastics a key musical? Why do we care? Um, you know what it is? It's, it's timeless. And so many shows, they're written at a different, in a certain decade, and they, are, they own that decade. They can't mm. really live. But the Fantastics is timeless. You can do the Fantastics 30 years from now, mm-hmm. and it will still be effective uh, for several elements. I mean, I think Tom and Harvey wrote an eccentric score. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are beautiful ballads in the score, but uh, Harvey was completely unique. And when he studied music, uh, he went to a wonderful uh, music school and the, all his teachers said, no, 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 you can't do those chords. Those chords don't make any sense. Mm. And Harvey stuck to it. And if you listen to the score, there are so many things that are so Harvey Schmidt. Mm. And you can hear it in, in uh, subsequent shows of his in Celebration and 110 in the Shade. And even, even though I Do, I Do is a pretty a standard musical, musically, there are still many, many uh, uh, times you think, oh, no one else could have written that but Harvey. And also the fact that it had a timeless story uh, that still speaks to very young people mm-hmm. and very old people. And it's the, it's the oldest story ever. It's just that we are we live within four seasons and within those four seasons things happen to us and we grow and we die in the winter and we come back in the spring and we're we're off to the races again and we've learned something Mm. and i think that's the greatest message to people who see it um it's not dated they they very wisely didn't put it in any specific period 
Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the show now, let's say it's, or it's already 60 years old. <clears throat> you can look at it and think, well, was this written last year? Mm. Because even uh, the, uh, the way that they treat the costuming uh -huh. and the whole, the whole show has a timeless element. You can't, you can't figure out what decade it's really in. Mm. And that helps the show as well. Mm. So, yeah, it totally <clears throat> seems like these very strange, almost discordant sounds that keeps it very timeless. Would you say that from a lyrical standpoint, uh, are there also moments in this show that you feel like you could pinpoint as making this seem more contemporary, making this seem sort of ahead of its time? Um, I think Tom went out of his way to make sure that it had it, it has poetry. The mm -hmm. lyrics are all poetic, and they they don't. In other words, within the lyrics, they they're not talking about uh, New York City or something. Uh -huh. We're obviously in a rural section of the country, and none of the lyrics um, are wedded to anything that's current. They're mm -hmm. all timeless. Uh, the same way, say, for instance, in the movie of The Wizard of Oz, mm -hmm. there was a song written, a dance number uh, called The Jitterbug. Mm. And it was, this is 1939. And Harold Arlen's score, again, was very eccentric and beautiful mm. in, that, in that movie, also containing one of the most beautiful ballads ever written. Right. But when they were doing the final cuts on the movie, they decided to throw out the jitterbug because it was a jitterbug in a very 1940s kind of number. Mm. And they were they were afraid it would age the show, mm. that you would not be able to think of it as being timeless. Do so you it was think... a very wise decision. Oh, absolutely. Do you think in a similar way, do you think when they're in the room there with the piano, they're working on the fantastics. Is that same sort of cutting process happening? Are they actively trying to create something that can be timeless? Or do you think that's something that just they stumbled upon? I think they were very aware of it. Hmm. Uh, these are two excellent writers. Uh, Harvey's no longer with us, but Tom is still active. Hmm. He's 95 years old, I think now. Wow. And he is still working. He's writing the music for a musical adaptation of Harold and Maude. Oh, cool. I love that movie. Very cool. And also, Tom is unafraid of rewriting, completely throwing out a song. Uh, his collaborator, the composer, the excellent uh, Joseph Falcon, um, keeps writing. I mean, he keeps handing him lyrics and Joe keeps, re you know, writing new songs for the show. Mm. But the same thing was true when they did 110 in the Shade. Mm -hmm. I think they must have, for a show that probably contains 18 songs, they probably ultimately wrote 80 songs. Wow. So they, there's always, it's, it's like in a, um, in a, in a poem or in a lyric, cause I, I write lyrics mm -hmm. and they, there's only one right word and you search for it mm -hmm. and you, because there's great economy with writing lyrics. So every word counts. Every word mm -hmm. has got to mean something. And Tom being an excellent lyricist and Tom also did the book. Uh, I think Ward Baker also worked, worked on the book uh, for the Fantastics. It was, um, and it's very, um, there's a lot of humor in it and a lot of broad humor. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. And, uh, but it all somehow works in a very kind of avant-garde commedia dell'arte way mm. that never seems like they're, they're jumping off a cliff that all, it all seems again, very 1960s avant-garde because that's, that's the way those shows were written and they were embraced but shows are still being written like that. And I, for one, love to go see a show that the authors take a chance. They jump in with both feet mm. because if it's too predictable or you're sort of ahead of it, mm -hmm. um, then it becomes a little bit of a chore to get through it. Mm. Um, there, are, there are many shows now 
uh, Flying Over Sunset was one that recently opened mm -hmm. that I saw. And again, I admired it for taking tremendous chances mm. and at every turn jumping off and jumping on jumping in with two feet mm -hmm. uh so uh yeah there there's another one a smaller uh, an opera playing at the uh, mitzi newhouse that does exactly the same thing that mm. jason robert brown wrote again oh. very courageous and i think you have to i think you you have to instead of writing what's popular today this very second uh -huh. you have to somehow magically look in the future and figure out a way to make a difference and a, a different way of a musical and i think that's what tom and harvey did with the fantastics mm. well i think there are so many just you mentioned these discordant chord progressions early on that he was writing yes. and there are so many that spring to mind in the fantastics yeah. that seem so distinctive so beautiful my favorite is um in soon it's gonna rain the where we can stay is yes. maybe one of my favorite just sounds in all of musical theater so it really is amazing that they could put notes together in such a unique way that we still don't really hear replicated and that is sort of out of nowhere in time. Well, I agree. And also just look even at the verse of Soon It's Gonna Rain is so brilliantly written and musically and harmonically eccentric. Mm. You hear things like, uh, even how it starts out so beautiful. See how the wind begins to whistle. See how the stream, and that is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And then Harvey sticks in, ba da da da. Oh goodness, where did that come <laughs> from? And yet it makes perfect sense. There's always something dissonant, which is uh, foreshadowing of the rain. Mm. In other words, soon it's going to rain, but not right now. You know, so mm -hmm. and if it does, we'll be okay. But there's mm. there's a lot of dissonance in that beautiful score, that beautiful tune. Oh, absolutely. So and it, it, happen. it calls to mind another one that I really love that you sort of talked about 110 in the shade. Yes. I love when he keeps coming back to that name, Melisande yes. in the song. Yes. I love the way that builds. It's that same sort of what are these notes? We've never I know. put these it's together. Melisande, like this. You yeah. know. Yeah. And that is, he didn't write Malison. Exactly. Malison. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And, and I love 110 in the shade. Are you a fan of that so show as well? I. You know, I'm very familiar with it because I saw as a kid, I was in school and the, it was a bus and truck that came into Chicago. Okay. And played the Schubert theater, which was a big roadhouse in Chicago, mm. but it was obviously a bus and truck. And it was only coming in for, I think, two weeks or something. I think uh -huh. uh, maybe a booking got canceled or something. And the look of it kind of looked like a bus and truck. The, it was all backdrops and some of them were ripped on the side. Mm. And stuff. But it was um, Jeannie Crane and Biff McGuire. And I just fell in love with it. With that I didn't show? Know the score. Yes, because uh, my principal of my high school called and offered anyone who wants to see 110 in the, and I went to an all boys high school, by the way. Okay. But anyone who wants to go to see 110 in the shade, we have little vouchers that you can present at the box office and you can see it for $2. Wow. Four of my friends, uh, we got on the 63rd street bus and went downtown and we sat in the second balcony of the Schubert theater I think then it was still called the second balcony. Now it's the rear mezzanine. Hmm. And I was, because the show opens really quietly. You hear, ba da da, la da da, ba dum, weird chord there from Harvey. Hmm. And I was, I was already with them. Okay. And yeah, it was just great. And then it opened slowly. There's a number called "Gonna Be." A, it's going to be another hot day. Mm. And not the not the way a typical way a musical would open. No, you could you could see how hot they were and what they were doing. And also later, because I love the musical so much, and I bought 
the of course bought the album mm -hmm. and then so i went to go see the source material on a, a movie that Catherine hepburn and burt lancaster did called mm -hmm. the rainmaker mm -hmm. and i was surprised and delighted that many many of harvey's uh harvey's no tom's lyrics mm -hmm. were taken straight from the text oh wow so so lizzie's old maid uh -huh. was almost word for word what uh and richard nash wrote in the, oh, in the wow. original that's really i 110 in the shade is also very significant for me slightly less romantic but um one of my earliest memories of seeing anything theater related and being like whoa we can do this um was uh staying up late uh and my mother let us stay up late to watch the first part of the tony awards and it was oh. the year that the roundabout had done one tenth so audra mcdonald performed raunchy yeah. and yeah. she's up on a table and she's doing yeah. cartwheels and i don't think I that we stayed up late enough to watch any of the big like ensemble show-stopping numbers but yeah. that just that was crazy so of course i also had to get my hands on like what is 110 in the shade give yeah. me more i need more yeah 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 and here i am well the original but... production had uh, Ro uh robert horton and inga swenson mm. and that recording is just so brilliant mm. and he's he, he had never done a musical before but he's a fine baritone voice and she was out of this world. Mm -hmm. uh, the end of the first act is Old Maid, mm -hmm. and which is, a, oh my God, it's a searing number. Um, and then I remember, even as a kid, I was blown away that the, the um, set or the lighting plot, as it went on, it got redder and redder and redder Ooh. and redder. So at the very end, when she's kind of like flipping out, uh -huh. the whole stage is red, the backdrop is red. Oh, wow. And you can see how she's just flipping out, realizing wow. that she's never gonna get married, that she'll, she'll never be happy, she'll never have children, she'll be wind up taking care of her father and her brothers until they all die or get married. Mm. So it's, a, it's an incredible first act closing. So oh, if you absolutely. haven't ever uh, listened to the original uh, Robert Horton, Inga Swenson recording of mm. An Intent in the Shade, treat yourself. Mm. Oh, I absolutely, I second that. Anyone yeah. who hasn't listened, I absolutely love that album. I love this score. I'd love to know, do you think, um, should young lyricists, young composers who want to be working in musical theater, should they be paying special attention to shows like the fantastics shows like 110 in the shade well i think they should i think they should listen to them i think they should study them and then mm -hmm. forget them and then okay. write what they want to write but they it'll teach them the basics and also there's nothing wrong with studying something that works mm. you know there are a lot there are plenty of crappy musicals right that i would say well don't listen to those you're not going to learn anything but learn from the pros, you know, go back, listen to Rodgers and Hammerstein, George Gershwin, Ira Gershwin, listen to them, don't ape them, mm. but, and, but realize that though these men and women who wrote these shows were on, they were on top of their game. Mm. And I still listen to things like from what they wrote. And sometimes I'll even, after I've heard something, uh, especially things from my young, when I was younger, that kind of just went over my head, you know, and I've been just used to hearing them. Oh, of course. Yeah. And now I hear them. I thought, oh, my God, that's what that means. Oh, mm. yes. So you can always learn something from these great writers. And again, in, to answer your question, yes, I would say the, these things should be studied. Uh, Lehman Engel, who started the BMI workshop, uh, was insistent that the young writers um, be versed in the classics. Mm. And then later on, uh, there were other people who took over the workshop, uh, like Maury Yeston and uh, Richard Inquist. And, and it was the same thing. I mean, they, they would make a, a point of bringing material into the workshop and having the class hear and see how they did it. 
Mm. How they they waited until the end of the they they didn't give it away in the first part of the lyric of the line. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times writers will will run to that rhyme at the end. Well, it's actually everything that winds up before the rhyme mm. is the real meat of it and what we should be paying attention to and not the rhyme. Do you think, do you go with that mentality when you start approaching writing the lyrics for a musical? I do. I do. I do. I follow what a lot of the really wonderful uh, lyricists have already written and I've I've learned from them and I try to apply it in my own lyrics and that always is always every song is a three-act play mm. you have to look at it as a three-act play you don't start we don't start at the very beginning <laughs> you know you you have to dole it out so that you have a premise you have a middle section which would be say your second act and the end, which is a summation. And mm. at the end of the lyric, you either that singer or the lyric has had a change in it, or sometimes it's as simple as like in a Sondheim lyric. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he'll consider a lot of things in the lyric and then realize at the end, you know what? I don't even know if that's the, you know, I don't know. Mm. I'm still oblivious as to what I should do. But the, but the actor and the writer of the lyric has gone through the journey. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Do you think, are there songs in the whole musical theater canon that come to mind for you when you talk about a song being a three-act play that you think Oh, man. Well, they you know, that? the classic one is um, uh, Billy Soliloquy in Carousel. Oh, of course. Okay. Okay, so he goes through many changes in that mm-hmm. soliloquy. I mean, at first he'll think he's kind of pompous, you know. Uh, he'll, you know, he'll, he'll call me the old man. You'll be better. <laughs> so, and then later on, you know, he realizes, oh my God, what if he is a she? What if it's a girl? Mm. And then he changes everything. Everything, the whole world changes. Mm. And then he has that beautiful snippet. Of uh, my little girl, pink and oh, yeah. white, his peaches. Oh, oh my God! And then the final summation is that he makes that 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 the willful decision. She's going to be comforted and uh, fed and dressed in the best that money knew, can buy. I never knew how to make money, but I'll try. God damn it, I'll try. You know, mm. and he'll do that or die. That's how he ends that soliloquy. Mm. And that is a huge journey. Now, not all songs have to make that dramatic of a journey. I mean, I was going to say that just, also it, that's like a 10 minute song in and of itself. You know, that's yes, it is. Some it heft. Is. Wow. Yeah. Well, Sondheim's a, was a genius at even mm. shorter numbers like uh, Little Red's number in Into the Woods. OK. Called I Know Things Now, mm-hmm. you know, that I never have known, the, you know, that and then you you get how she was afraid and scared. And then at the very end, it's like, isn't it nice to know a lot and a little bit not? Mm. So it's good to know a lot, but Sondheim being such a genius said, yeah, it's, you know, he said, good to know all of that, but also not so fast. There's yeah. So he was always, there was a lot to think about in his lyrics and still will be forever. Mm. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Do you think, do you approach when you are writing music for cabarets for the concert stage? Do you come in with the same mentality as when you're writing pieces for a musical theater piece? I do. I just think they're more interesting. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I just think so. I think that it engages an audience mm-hmm. um, because sometimes if the if the lyric does, doesn't travel, mm. it's what I would call traveling. Uh-huh. Uh, they'll they'll zone out. You okay. know, they just get complacent to the listening to what might be a very beautiful melody but they're not engaged uh, with the text. Mm. And because I, I, I did write a lot of cabaret songs for, right. for people and uh, they were all, the singers are all brilliant. And I was going to say for, for people, you've written a lot for some huge people, some very yeah. big names. Yeah. So a lot of times uh, I was, I was asked to write something for a concert and mm. they said, we would like you to write for, uh, say Randy Graf. Mm-hmm. So I would call Randy, and I mean, I got to know her very well, and she did the lead in one of my musicals and was mm. fantastic. But at the time, I didn't know her that well, and I said, "Well, what do you like to sing? I mean, what kind of you know, what kind of number would you like to do for this evening? Mm. Because they're the one that's going to be up there doing it, right?" So she's brilliant at comedy. So I wrote her a comedy number Mm. and she was, she's very, very smart about comedy. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I, what I learned from Randy is that uh, the tempo is in a comedy number is everything. Mm. So if you go too fast on the tempo, they won't get the jokes. Mm-hmm. You'll speed through the text and they won't get the jokes. Mm-hmm. If you go too slow, then they're ahead of you. Mm-hmm. You know, if that makes any sense. No, absolutely. So, and again, this was this was a real story song. The name of the song is um, A Good Book. Hmm. And it's about a woman telling us um, how the her early part of her life was spent dating the wrong men. Okay. Okay. So a lot of times she would go out and she was not having a good, very good time. So in order for her to have a good time along with going to the movie, she would bring a good book. Okay. (laughs) So if she gets, yeah. So in case of things weren't going well, she would open up a book and start reading, (laughs) Uh, which is again, for for a comedy number, what you try to do is not, um, well, any kind of song, you don't hit it on the nose. Mm. It's what I call taking the side door. You find okay. another way to say it differently. That's a surprise for the audience. Mm. So let's come back, I guess, a little bit back to the Fantastics. Do you think that it's one of those shows that we sort of have the shows before the Fantastics, but then once the Fantastics is on the scene, do we see... Um, sort of an artistic influence from this show in the following musical theater works that come after it? Yeah, I think so, definitely, particularly off-Broadway. Okay. Uh, because Broadway was still used to doing huge musicals with big casts. Mm. And uh, there was a musical called The Golden Apple mm-hmm. that was done off-Broadway originally, scaled down, but it was... it. It was a. It was in essence a big musical, hmm. and it was very beautifully written. In the same way, uh, it was very eccentric musically, and at that time, everyone was encouraged to write stuff that was different. And even th- even the off Broadway shows that opened after the Fantastics and to this day have a tendency to be quirky. So you would you would on occasion get something like You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, but that's okay. an anomaly. Okay. But off Broadway, you were encouraged 
to be, if there's the phrase that, that carpenters use, uh, which is a couple bubbles of plum. Do you know what that means? I do not know what that means. Okay, this is good. My father taught me this. He was a brilliant carpenter. Perfect. And it's, a, it's a, a level that you put against the wall and there's a little thing in the middle of it. So if it's not, if it's a little bit off, the bubble will be off the center. Uh-huh. But, the, but the bubble has to be absolutely in the center of these two lines. And if it's a couple bubbles off plumb, it's Got eccentric. It. It's, okay. it's a little off. Okay. okay. So off-Broadway things were encouraged to be a couple bubbles off plumb. Got it. Okay. Okay. Do you think, are, are there other off-Broadway musicals that you would say are a couple bubbles off plumb that uh-huh. you think musical theater writers, lyricists, composers should be paying attention to today? Well, there, there were a lot of them. A lot of them weren't very successful, like uh, The Adding uh, Machine mm-hmm. was very eccentric. Mm-hmm. But I admired it, again, because it jumped in with both feet. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a little shop of horrors. We all think, we all kind of think, oh, yeah, well, that's, oh, when that first opened, that was really... Uh, that score, that driving, uh, uh, the Howard Ashman lyrics, and oh, it was just it was it was written like a real musical, but mm. none of it was like a real musical. Mm, it's silly. It's just a couple bubbles off plum, but yes. it's yeah, it's wild. Well, Would, when the plant started singing and eating people, we we knew that we, there was something odd going on. Yeah. And do you think can we trace back the ability for Little Shop of Horrors to become? The huge success it is today, does it owe anything to the Fantastics, you think? I think everything owes something to the Fantastics. Hmm. I think that it it, it opened, it put on all the green lights for Hmm. anyone who wanted to write something and had something in their hearts that was unusual. And uh, again, Tom's lyrics are so beautiful and so poetic and exciting and funny and Harvey's work, song for song, is exceptional. Mm-hmm. When they finally get to round and round in the second act, mm-hmm. which is so macabre, yeah. it's almost theater of the you know bizarre macabre, and uh, just all of those again the weird chord progressions, and uh, also the fact that the the show opens with an eccentric little overture. That has nothing to do with anything else in the show. <laughs> you never hear that tune again. Mm. You know, and it's 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 that was unusual. Mm. So I think that uh, maybe it could be that Harvey liked the fact that the overture to Candide was a, a tune that really wasn't uh, used anywhere else in the show. And in okay. that overture, we, you, we get "Oh Happy Pair, Oh Happy We." But the rest of it is an eccentric, original Leonard Bernstein piece that's often played in concert halls. Oh, absolutely. And it's a fabulous piece. And oh, it is. It absolutely it riles you up to watch a musical yes. comedy. I've been at multiple concerts and seen it played. And I think it's a letdown to follow that up with with the show <laughs> no with with yeah. some other song i want to see oh i know i, I want to see candide now you know keep going yeah. bring them out bring them out well <laughs> um, it's wonderful it's, it's a wonderful overture and i i hear it all the time on wqxr here in new york mm-hmm. and uh it's it's always like you're hearing it for the first time mm-hmm. there's so many colors in it and you can see uh leonard bernstein's brilliance and also the, the great talent he had for beautiful melodic song, like uh, the verse to "Oh Happy Pair, Oh Happy We," la da 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 da, it's just lush and beautiful. Mm. So I mean, I I just I turn into a puddle when I when I hear a great overture like that, mm. uh, like. Uh, that's another score. That's another show. I mean, you are aptly calling it also eccentric, but then the lyrics to the part that you were just singing are also so lush. Like you said, uh, they're so tied in with nature. 
they're so disjointed from any particular place from any time they're just right. plain beautiful yeah you know why because with every score if you only had eccentric if you only had things that were um jagged mm. uh you would start getting annoyed listening to it mm. so that's why even in the songs in uh the fantastics when the couple at the end sing they were you the tune is so simple and the lyric is so simple mm. when the moon was young when the month was may when the stage was hung for our holiday i saw shining lights but i never knew they were you well mm. that's a very direct from the heart lyric and the tune is as simple as well do you know did you know that that was Gower Champion's favorite song? Oh really? Yeah, of all the songs he ever heard and he he's heard a lot. Mm -hmm. He he thought that that was the loveliest song he had ever heard for the stage. It absolutely is an mm -hmm. incredible song. I mean, it's so hard to talk about the Fantastics just because there every song that we're going to mention, I'm going to say, "Oh, that's my favorite song in this show. Oh. I love that song." Yeah, well, you know what it is? Because you get something from every uh, drawer in the bureau. Mm. So you get something silly from the from the fathers. You get two vaudeville numbers from the mm -hmm. fathers, which are very welcome. One in the first act, one in the second. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you get the eccentric characters of the Indian and the old actor climbing out of a trunk, mm. which is way, way crazy. And then sexy El Gallo, comes out and sings uh it all depends on what you pay mm -hmm. and you see the end of the the world weariness and knowledge of el gallo and the complete naivete of matt and louisa mm. and uh it, it you get and the tone of all the songs are different so you get i can see it which is very a uh, uh, rhythmic jazzy um song about going out and doing it getting out i want to go out and experience all this mm. and louisa has a has a similar moment when she's uh uh el gallo is after her necklace and uh makes the world that she's about to see and then she does see it and it's not so pretty mm. you know she uh the what he sets before her uh, she's she's ready for a beautiful, lovely, lyrical, waltzy time, and it all turns sour. Every one of the episodes of her going out into the world, same thing for the boy. Mm. And that's the other thing that makes it so beautiful is that at the end, they both went out. It's a little bit like you know, uh, there's no place like home, mm -hmm. but they they went out and they experienced something, and they realized at the end of that what they really wanted was each other mm. they saw it they experienced it it wasn't pretty mm -hmm. so I mean, i'm sure there are instances where people go out and it's very pretty and they're very satisfied they did it but uh for the fantastics uh it's it's really a great story and that's why again i think that it's timeless and it's something that anyone could see and they'll realize something from it from their youth or at some time as they were getting older how they felt mm. about looking at the world how their their how their attitudes have changed uh and of course the the narrator uh has seen it all mm. would so, you say that you have a particular version of this show whether it's an album or the movie that if we have listeners who aren't familiar with the show that would be a good introduction to the fantastics that would help right. them you know the um the the movie of the fantastics uh that they did was very earnest mm. but they I, and i'm not criticizing it because mm -hmm. it was a tough piece to put on film oh absolutely uh, but it it fails in every department. Okay. So I would I would not recommend that any young per person wanting to study the Fantastics looks at the film because that's really not the show. Mm. A lot of the the tunes are, and mm. I think even Tom and Harvey wrote something special for the movie. But um, I would say listen to the original cast album, 
Mm. Uh, there may be, um, and also, you know, most local productions, uh, it, the show's been done so much that it pretty much, no one really messes around with it too much because I, there's, you do you know what I mean? I think so that's, whatever you yeah. see, you're going to, that's going to pretty much be, and the other wonderful thing is that it's live, mm. seeing the Fantastics live, but definitely a good start to it is to uh, get a hold of that MGM original off-Broadway cast mm. uh, where you get Rita Gardner and Jerry Orbach and mm. Kenneth Nelson and all these brilliant actors and singers. And also just the, the beauty of, the, of that harp in the piano. Mm. You know, I mean, it's, it's perfect. And, you know, they had a lot of choices when they were because they were on a very limited budget mm -hmm. and uh, they, they chose the harp as opposed to a percussion uh right let's say a set of drums or something uh but uh that was a very wise choice oh absolutely um, mm -hmm. have you seen it done several times many times i'll be honest with you i saw it the first time when i was 16 years old oh, wow. and it was done in my high school well oh. not my high school it was done at an all-girls high school and they um obviously they were going to cast Louisa as a girl, but mm -hmm. they also cast the fathers as mothers to get two more girls in the oh, show. Good. <laughs> so, uh, and then the boy came from another high school and I came from an all boys high school, St. Lawrence high school. And uh, it, it was wonderful. I think I was probably the worst El Gallo that has ever walked on <laughs> stage. Uh, I was, I was so hell bent to be sexy Okay. And there was nothing sexy about a skinny 16-year-old oh, trying to be no. sexy. Well, it's oh, hard because yeah. Jerry Orbach is so sexy. Like, you can oh, listen to his voice and you just yes. you know it's exuding yes. sensuality. So that is, that's a high bar if you were familiar with the yes. recording at that no, point. No, no, no. And that was a tough, that was a tough thing for a 16-year-old kid to do. <laughs> Until this day, there's a short video of it. And I look at it and I'm so embarrassed about oh, it. Gosh. I've got this little black cape and the stupid black hat on and, oh, just trying to strut around. I've been, it, it was vomit provoking. I'm telling you. Oh, God. And that's when you said, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to write lyrics. <laughs> I think I'm going to do, but I, 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 I worked as an actor for, for many, many years, but I never did the Fantastics again, but I saw it many times. Mm. I actually saw Richard Chamberlain play El Gallo at oh, a wow. production in Chicago. He was very, very good. And there was a road company that went out uh, that played in Chicago. Again, very excellent. Mm. But you can find excellent productions of the Fantastics being done. I have a friend who did it recently um, in uh, like Northbrook, Illinois, and he loved uh, directing it. Mm. And he said many times when he would call me and say, you know what? This thing is so rich. Mm. Uh, it, it, it plays so beautifully. And there's so much humor and heart and heartache in it. And uh, it's done with a very small amount of people and a piano and a harp. Well, and, and the other thing, is, go ahead. Uh, oh. I was going to say that the, the end of the overture, mm -hmm. Baker, who directed it, mm. um, knew that at the very end, uh, the overture was wiping up, and at that time, off-Broadway overtures were always very grand. Oh, <laughs> we're getting to the end of that. And at the end, he go the mute grabs in his bag and throws up like 150 uh, uh, paper squares, hmm. like tissue paper squares mm. in every conceivable color that you can imagine. So that last flurry before the overture ended was this hundred, like 150 of these things floating down to the stage. Wow. Yeah. So there we go. It's, it's so simple. It doesn't take a million dollars. It doesn't take a huge no. technical knowledge, but it's magical. It's alive. I was going to say, uh, when you're talking about how few people it takes to pull it off, I think we're going to see a golden age of, amateur groups and smaller theaters presenting the fantastics just because with the restrictions on gathering right now it's a right. pared down company my um my younger brother i think 
when as we're recording this, I think next week is in an amateur production in Duxbury, Massachusetts. Oh. Um, but talking to him after he's playing Matt and after the uh-huh. first rehearsal, uh, he was so taken aback by, you know, the two actors who are playing the fathers. I think yes. this is each of their third time doing the role. And there are oh. other people in the show with him who, oh, yeah, I did Matt, but now I'm doing the older actor, you know, all yeah. these different yeah this legacy of this show that beyond being this artistic bar that we can reach to it also just has such a huge life and is so significant to so many people who are working in theater or so many people who love theater and I think it hits on everything that you've touched upon that it's eccentric it's a little strange it's lush it's beautiful it was ahead of its time that it all just kind of comes together to make this beautiful little magical show. Well, Andrew, I'll be very honest. I've, I've seen it maybe a dozen times mm. uh, over the years. I've listened to it a dozen times. I've heard people sing songs from it. Mm-hmm. And every time I see it, I well up at the end. Mm. Um, and when they're, put, they're taking the, uh, the sweater that Matt is wearing and it's the fall, you know, it's... Um, it's cold. and he he wraps the sweater around himself and her, and she says, "Both, there's room for both." Mm. And I just and then they they sing that beautiful song. And uh, the other thing is that the you know the the significance of the last line of the show, mm-hmm. and the fathers come out and they say, "Oh, let's tear down the wall," and El Gallo says, "No, leave the wall." You must always leave the wall. And for years, I couldn't figure out that last line mm-hmm. until eventually I talked to Tom about it. And he said, oh, there's always has to be a barrier that if you just all let all of the walls down, there's no conflict and all mm-hmm. lives need conflict. So there always needs to be something that you have to get through and it makes you stronger and it makes the relationship that you have with that other person stronger. Mm. So that's what that line means. There wow. must you must always leave the wall. I know it sounds a little cold, but it isn't. It's it, ask any married couple that have, have been married for fifty years. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there is there are a lot of ups and downs, and there are um, things that happen in that relationship that after they get through them, it makes that relationship stronger. I had a couple, I went to their 50th wedding anniversary recently Mm. and they were talking in front of the entire group that was there for their wedding. And my friend Phyllis said, someone recently asked me, what's it like being married 50 years? And she said, it's like being married 50 years. (laughs) (laughs) Which is very funny. But it sort of goes into what I'm saying about you. You have this, you have that. This is done. This happens. That. So it's always it's this little balance that you're always trying to make. And I think, I think that's what that line at the end of the Fantastics means. There always needs to be something that that will get in the way, and then you find a way to get past it. And it goes back to what you were talking about earlier, speaking about lyrics that sometimes. There is something that you haven't experienced, that you don't recognize, uh, that you come to, and it doesn't really mean anything. It goes over your head. But that is one of those lines that later in life you can kind of come back to, or at different points in your life you can come back to, and it will have significance. It will mean something different. You'll understand it differently, which I think is makes it such a great ending to this strange little play. Yeah. Well, there's something, there's wisdom in all of it. Uh, even in the naivete of the two kids. Mm. I mean, they're, they're almost, they're comical because mm-hmm. they are so naive. And also anybody over a certain age um, will be um, aware that, um, right? and they're almost, it's almost comical because uh, uh, an audience member with a few years on them will realize, oh my God, I was just like that. Could I <laughs> ever been that silly? Oh my, was I... And then the answer resoundingly is always yes. 
Mm. You were that silly. But mm. you deserve to do that because your own, at the beginning, she says, I'm 15 years old and every day something wonderful happens to me. Mm. And she says, please, God, please don't let me be normal. Mm. So she wants something exciting and something uh, more thrilling than what she's currently experiencing in her life. And the boy is, is just ridiculous. I mean, he, in the beginning, you know, he's, he wants, he's, oh, with a, with a, he's going to fight battles and do all of these things. And you think, oh, come on, you know, and then, but you realize that's what you do when you're younger because mm. you're intrepid and you think everything is possible and you're going to change everything. Mm. Um, and, and they're sweet and you don't dislike them for a moment because we see ourselves in them. We get it. Well, thank you so very much for joining us today. Oh, you know what? You were terrific. And thanks. I hope I didn't talk too much. No, absolutely not. And thank you to our listeners for being with us. Please make sure to purchase a copy of 50 Key Stage Musicals by visiting Routledge.com or by clicking in today's show description. If you want to learn more about the Fantastics, please also review the links in the below description. I'm Andrew Child, and thank you for listening to 50 Key Stage Musicals, the podcast. Try to remember the kind of September when life was slow and oh, so mellow. Try to remember the kind of September when grass was green. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.